Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, we spoke to someone who is embodying all of those things, a passionate person who is seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance, and who is helping other people to do exactly the same. His name is Sean Simpson, and he is the senior property analyst here at Dashdot. So we dig into his personal journey into property and how he started setting goals at a really young age and always had that really that massive drive to transform his life and how those goals have changed. And now they're driven more around things like impact and how to give back. It's a really great story because he's trans he's transitioned through a lot of stages of property himself, from wanting to get started quite early and doing courses at the age of 17 through to you know doing active investment and kind of adding value and flipping and becoming a sales agent and now becoming a property analyst for Dashdot and what that means for him as well. We kind of also dig into some of the secrets um, behind what he gets to do today and loads of other things, including what mistakes people make in property. Lots of really great stuff. So if you're interested in hearing a, uh, a journey of somebody who's walking the path and who's got some really valuable insights about how to identify and achieve any goal that you might have, no matter what your age or no matter what your starting point, then this is the episode for you. So without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. And I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me on today's show is another very special human of Dashdot. His name is Sean Simpson, and he is, in fact, the senior property analyst. Sean, how are you? Good, good. How are you? Very well, thanks, mate. Uh, w- welcome to the show. How's uh, how- tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you like? What is a property analyst? What's a senior property analyst? Who are you? What do you do at Dashdot? Tell us. Let's start there. Uh, well, I feel it always always keeps changing because we're always growing pretty quickly. Um, but my sort of primary job is is on the property side of the business. We're sort of at the top end of that. So we take, um, you know, a huge number of properties each week and do analysis on them, um, see if they meet our criteria and our clients' briefs, and then they continue to move down the move down the list. And once we deem them to be to be of a level, you know, acceptable or above above clients' expectations, we then present them on to the acquisition managers who then deal with um, the clients' contracts, bits and pieces. So, yeah, nice, nice. So, so you and the and the analyst team are the guys that are actually like raking through the muck, fossicking, yeah, fossicking for the <laughs> fossicking for the yeah. gold nuggets. The gold nice. nuggets. That's it. That's what we're after. Yeah, nice, nice. So, okay, that that's good. Tell us a little bit about like how did you end up here? Because I know you had a background in real estate before that. Why don't we go back to? Why don't we go back a little bit further? Where did you, where did you where did you come from? What tell me tell me the story? Yeah, so I grew up in Cowra, which is a sort of town that's only got about six thousand people in it. It's about four hours west of Sydney. Um, so I grew up there till I was about. I didn't move over till to Bathurst until I was about twenty ish. So only a, a few years ago. Um, so yeah, I grew up there. I moved over to Bathurst for my first job in real estate, which was in sales, um, just sort of a, a quite a traditional sales role where you start as a sort of bit of a buyer's assistant and then move into a sales agent. Um, and then from there moved on and yeah, came to Dashdot. Tell me, tell me about that. Tell me about that experience as a sales agent. You know, well, actually, no, sorry, let's go back before. I want to get back to the sales agent bit. Why property? Yep. Why property? You grew up in Cowra, um, you moved to Bathurst. Why why did you even decide that you wanted to work in property? Where did that all that, yeah. all that come from? I'm not sure I can pinpoint exactly because Cowra doesn't have the most exciting property market that would that would draw young people in from left, right, and center. Um, but I can just remember. Uh, sort of from 16, 17, I was always looking at, you know, what would be um, 
you know, the, the best and, and quickest path to sort of what I thought I wanted in life. So I remember even at, I think it was about 17, I started doing like uh, property development courses and stuff like that. So I got right into it quite, quite early. I, I'm not too sure what drew me towards property. Um, but yeah, I just had a well, really strong interest it, in it. From, let's dig into that. So 16 and 17, you were already thinking about what you wanted in life. Yeah, yep. I was right into it. I think, yeah, even earlier than that, you know, we were diving into, I was looking at e-commerce things. I was looking at whatever flew, pl- flew past my Facebook feed with a little ad for courses or whatever it was. I was always, you know, always doing a course in something and, so, and having right, a look. And Yeah, let, let's go back to that. When did that like, okay, so let's, where did the fascination, because a lot of like when I was, I don't know, when I was like 14 or whatever, I guess I was probably thinking about like what the future was going to be like and all of that kind of stuff. I guess I was thinking about that. My pathway was a little a little different. But I'm interested to know like where did that where did that come from for you? Where do you where do you reckon that kind of fascination around going, hang on a second, what am I going to create with my life? When when did you think when do you think that kind of kicked off? Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure because I've always sort of had uh, I've always been really strongly motivated by like sort of you know building something and, and looking at you know five year forecast, ten year forecast, twenty year forecast, sort of looking at, at where I'm going and and what I'm doing. So I guess um, it was probably yeah I I can remember right back to sort of fourteen fifteen doing just jumping on like websites like Udemy and stuff like that and just doing courses in all kinds of kinds of random things um and then yeah stumbled on on real estate i did a yeah like a, a property options course or something and i was 17 i got right into it and just started um was that can i was that like the mark rolton one or yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. back in the day sucked in down the facebook funnel and and there i was so i yeah. started doing courses like that and then um from there i was i was pretty well down the rabbit hole i was pretty interested so, so okay hang on a second what I'm sure that your vision for your future is different now than it was back then. Yeah, very much. But what was it? Because like that's like I don't know that many like people that are in high school that are doing like property options courses and stuff yeah. like like, yeah. like people might be thinking, you know, oh yeah, I know what I want to create with my life. But most people in high school are thinking, okay, that's got something to do with me finishing high school and then maybe going to uni or I don't know, picking up basically getting a job. Like basically yeah. whatever, like my career is going to be my path to the things that I want. But you were thinking mm. about it slightly differently. So I'm interested yeah. to know what that vision was at that time. Like, what is it? Like, if you go back to when you were 15, 16, 17, what was the goal then? Yeah. yeah. So I think, it, and it is very, very different now. Unfortunately, at the time, as a lot of young kids do, I think it was just how can I make the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time possible? Um, why though? Like, why? why? Why was that a goal? Um, I, I just sort of had that had that sort of pie in the sky idea that I wanted to be, you know, retired early. I wanted to be, you know, holidays. I wanted to be in the Bahamas by the time I was 25 sort of thing. So I just, <laughs> just yeah, really wanted to develop that kind of um, option to have freedom and choice in what I did later in life. Um, I did sort of fall into the trap of that always being, a, you know, a, a something to enjoy later. So I guess a lot of my young years where, you know, most of my friends were out partying and drinking and stuff like that, I used to just... Um, work quite a bit all the time, which is obviously sort of like climbing Mount Everest when you're trying to save working as a as a kid. You're sort of just chipping away at it. Um, but yeah, I sort of always just had I was attached to that vision sort of thing. So I just really really focused on working and saving and trying to get that first house deposit away, and that was sort of my priority at the time. But I'm not particularly sure why it was my priority. Um, it's really and things things shift a lot as I as I sort of got into my twenties. 
Um, but at the time, yeah, that was sort of what I was really focused on. It's quite interesting, right? Because when you're like 15, 16, when you would say between 15 and let's say you're 20, even, you know, 15 to 20 years old, 30 is like, you know, a half yeah. to a half to a third of your entire existence yeah. again, right? So, um, so that kind of like, I want to retire by the time I'm 25 or 30. That's the equivalent of like when you get to 30 saying, I want to retire by the time I'm 50. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. It's a good uh, percentage of my life. But I was, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just just loved it at the time. And I've always found good enjoyment out of, you know, I used to go out. My dad had sort of like a um, martial arts gym and I'd insist that I'd clean that on Friday night to go out there, the vacuum, you know, till 11 or 12 at night, just trying to put away as much money as possible because um, at the time I was so focused on, on property and I just wanted to make sure I had the best chance to sort of get the first one away as early as possible. Do you that re- compound growth. Nice. Do you regret <laughs> Do you regret any part of that, like not spending more time just out partying and stuff like that? Um, I, I guess I can in, in some ways, but I, I've, I feel like I've experienced an awful lot in my life post leaving school like I'm um, back in school you know and especially in Cowra you can get sucked into the trap of there's always just you know very non-exciting parties and bits and pieces happening every weekend but since then I feel like I've experienced a lot more sort of substantial things in my life that I really enjoyed so I don't particularly regret it uh, I know there's more I probably could have done then but the trade-off is now um, because of that work I've sort of got my first couple away and now I can actually go and, and enjoy a lot more stuff so yeah not not particularly yeah, and how old were you when you you were squirreling away and working hard to get your first first deposit? How old were you when you bought yep. your first property? Um, I was. What am I now? Um, twenty two, twenty two, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, nice. And tell me about that. Where was it? Yeah, so it was in Bathurst. Um, it was in Bathurst. It was three hundred and fifty grand, and I, I squirreled away for a long time. The government. Uh, gave me that lovely low deposit scheme. So I only had to save up about a, I think it was a $17,500 deposit. So really, really small deposit, which was massive game changer because you can sort of get in the get in the game. Um, so yeah, we, we bought it quite cheap and then we um, just got stuck in same, same sort of thing again. I just spent, I was working sort of six days a week, kind of 60, 70 hours at the time. And then all Sundays and all nights were just spent flat out renoing it. Um, and my partner did as well. She had a massive, massive part in that. And then we, um, yeah, pretty well, we nearly, nearly doubled the value of the home in 11 months and then sold it and on to the next one. So you so, nearly doubled the value of the home in say 11 months, 11 months. Yeah. So was, was that, settled, was, that through doing, was that through doing the renos? Was that basically? Yeah. yeah. Just through doing the renos and, and definitely not financial advice, but I, I used all my, all my money to get into the property and I just took the leap of faith even against my, you know, my, my Parents are quite conservative and they're like, no, you've got to keep a keep a buffer and so on and so forth. So I emptied my pockets to get in the house and then took out as much personal loans as I possibly could to fund fund the renos, um, which is definitely not a, a wise idea, um, but I did it anyway. And that sort of put the time pressure on me that, you know, you, you're making all these repayments on personal loans. So we just got stuck into it and did it all ourselves. That just pretty well paid for the whatever we needed in terms of materials and got stuck into it and got it done. And then did you sell that property to release the capital? And did, yeah, you, wait, so, did you wait until after 12 months to do that? Or? Yeah, ju- yeah. so the settlement was just after 12 months. That so was our principal point of residence because I was, I was obviously very scared of capital gains tax. Um, so, yeah, we, we sold it just after, it settled just after the 12th month, but I was a sales agent still at the time. So, we just sold it off market sort of thing to people I knew were already looking for that sort of thing. So Yeah. Okay. So, let's talk about that kind of 
sales agent career. Tell yeah, me about that. Yeah. How did that how did that come about? Did you have a particular um, pull to it? Because you could have done anything to make some money and get into property. Yeah. Why did you why did you decide to go into the sales side of things? I think this is that unfortunate attitude of how can I make the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time, sort mm. of thing. Um, so at the time my interest was obviously in property. Um, I wanted I knew I wanted to do you know, different things with property later down the line and with my own properties. However, at the time, I saw that as the, the best way for me to just surround myself in the industry and learn as much as I can. Um, so, yeah, I just just jumped into it, which was actually, as much as I didn't find the career particularly rewarding, I wouldn't trade it for anything because I did learn an awful lot about property in the, in the industry. Um, and I did find a lot of sort of good mentors and, and people that had done what I'm currently trying to do, which the knowledge that they sort of, you know, gave me is probably more value than anything else I earned in that career. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't find the overall career particularly uh, rewarding, but the people I met and the things I learned definitely very, very why wasn't Why wasn't it rewarding? I mean, just to understand that. Um, what, did, what, did could, you, what did you yeah. not get out of it that you thought you might have? Or, you know, um, I, could go, I could go on a rampage about real estate because it's, <laughs> it's, there's a lot of sort of, you know, there's some wonderful people in there. There's also some not so wonderful people in there. Um, and a lot of the attitudes that, that people train and, and impart on, on younger people in the industry can be, you know, against... Um, yeah, just, just immoral and, and things like that, which is not ideal. And I didn't find it particularly rewarding at the time because um, we were often pushed to do things that I wouldn't particularly want to do. So there were certain rewarding parts of it, which like, you know, building great. I've got some great relationships with with people. I've got some great friends. I sort of sold a house to a lady down the road. We still catch up for coffee on some mornings and stuff like that. It's wonderful. Um, but the overall gist of the industry can be quite, quite iffy sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. No, no, fair enough. So what are your goals now and how are they different? Because like, so you started, you were, you were, you know, working as much as you could when you were younger with the goal of like, right, I want to get into property because I can see that this is going to be a pathway to me, me being able to live in the Bahamas or go to the Bahamas yeah. by the time I'm 30. <laughs> All good. Happy days. Yeah. Obviously a bit of life happens between that point and, yeah, and a lot of life. Yeah. At that point and now. Um, what what are your goals now? Um, I think I've definitely shifted a lot that I, I now understand that, um, you know, interactions and relationships between people can be far more valuable than sort of, you know, tangible things. So I'm finding a lot more enjoy. I don't think I would actually enjoy being in the Bahamas now. It's all good and well for a week or so. But if I sort of sit idle for too long, I get really like, you know, really sort of itchy feet. I really don't like not doing anything anymore. I do sort of like pushing myself. So um, the goals have definitely changed now that I would still want to sort of achieve that life of you know freedom choice and abundance but I, i'd probably want that more for the ability to to give back and and help other people than i would just for myself in the bahamas with you know cocktails and and sitting there doing nothing sort of thing so yeah that's probably been the biggest shift yeah awesome and so you got that first property when you were 22 you piled everything into yep. it you went yep. holus bolus in there and Hail Mary! You, yeah, you fl- you flipped it basically. What what happened after yeah. that? What happened after that in your property journey? Yes, yeah, so so that was like the the great result that we got from that was obviously riding probably the the best property wave that has ever been in my lifetime. Like the growth at that time was was just unreal. Um, but the tricky thing about that is you sell in a super red hot market. You've unfortunately got to buy in the same market, and as you move up in price ranges, you know ten percent growth on 
300 grand is a lot less money than 10% growth on 800 grand. So if you're moving up, it can actually be somewhat detrimental. Um, so there was a really interesting story because once I got out of that, I, I thought I wanted to start to do something bigger. I wanted to do like a, a subdivision or like something a, a little bit larger. But once I got out of that that property and was trying to compete in a super, super red hot market in, you know, a retail market for subdivisions and things like that, that's a, a very scary place for a 24-year-old because I was competing against, you know, builders, people with seven figures worth of cash that just didn't really care, that had a lot lower, mar- like a lot better margins, you know, builders, stuff like that. So I got a pretty rude shock straight away that I was not going to be able to buy what I wanted to buy. Um, and at the time, I was I was really trying to get out of um, my current career as well, which is the only way for me to access more um, deals that I could find. So I started to go really left wing. I remember sitting in front of RP Data for about six or seven hours one night trying to think of how on earth I could come up with another way to do it. Um, and this was right at the start of COVID as well. So I started thinking where's COVID negatively impacted the the property market. So I started thinking more and more. And then I thought um, commercial real estate, because obviously offices and bits and pieces had actually become sort of more vacancy rates had increased in that sort of side of thing. And luckily enough for me in Bathurst, we've got a whole lot of these beautiful sort of 1870 to 1890 CBD fringe homes that have been turned into commercial offices, sort of accountancy practices, you know, physiotherapists, stuff like that. Um, so I thought, bingo, that's my that's my way in. So because lots of these properties are, are currently underperforming. So I found a property that was two, once upon a time, it was two semi-detached that were built in, in sort of 1890. It was turned into one big eight office accountancy practice. Um, but lots of the heritage was still there and it had sat empty for about nine months. So, because nobody wanted an eight office accountancy practice that was bright yellow and had bits falling off it. Um, mm. Most people that wanted eight offices had gone and built their own or, or so on and so forth. So, I bought a um, really underperforming commercial asset and then we're now going backwards, um, turning into two residential homes. So, it was sort of funny, funny paradigm because I was, I was sort of trying to see value where no one else did. And then a couple of months later, that's now what I do for a living. So it's worked out very well. Yeah, that's an, it's an interesting. I I always like that, like finding, like unlocking the hidden value, seeing the things yeah. that other people can't see. Yeah. How do you think that? Was, that yeah, go on. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that was my goal because at the time that the value that everyone could see was just so competitive that I just I, I, we couldn't get in or if unless we severely overpaid for something. So I had yeah. to sort of come up with a way to see something that other people traditionally wouldn't be looking at. So. Yeah, I think that's and I think that's a really good overarching uh, thesis on how to how to. I think that's you know broadly speaking, I'd love to get your personal opinion on this, but I think that's kind of how we generally mm. approach things. Generally, like even like finding markets which aren't yet booming or at their yep. very early stages, where people are like what that doesn't make what hundred like, percent. If you go yeah. where everyone else is going, you're only you're only going to be it's you know it's a red ocean. So yeah, given that you're on the front line. Right. You're actually so, you know, for the benefit of the listener, like we have a whole data and technology team and data science and everything that, that helps us to identify the right locations. And then Sean, you're on the front line of digging into those locations to try and unlock the unlock the hit, find that, find the assets where we can unlock hidden value or find the the things that other people can't see. How do you talk talk to us about that? Like what do you yeah. how do you see that playing out in, in real time for you? Yeah, well, I think a good point, even on the location stuff you just said, it, it's easy for you to jump onto realestate.com news and say like, oh, look, this place is a hotspot. But if you jump in there, you're, you're in the exact same problem I was last year. You're competing with 
you know, hundreds of thousands of retail investors that all think this is now a hotspot mm-hmm. um, and it can become, it's, it's just too competitive. So trying to unlock the hidden value, you know, before or something that other people won't see, I think is a, a critical point in, in sort of success in property investing. So especially even um, on, in my job is more property centric rather than location centric. Um, but lots of little things that we can identify for clients, lots of little small strategies that I won't go and give away completely on the podcast, but there's lots of small things that quite often other people won't see, whether it's, you know, inefficiencies in, in floor plans, other bits and pieces, ways to, you know, transform and, and shape the value of a property that, you know, are all levers that the clients can pull later on to, mm. to add that little bit of extra equity or or, you know, bounce them onto the next property. And those sort of having that or not having that can be a, a really critical step to being able to go from one to two to four to six to eight sort of thing rather than just getting stuck on the one. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. Nice. Um, okay, cool. So, you, you've, so you're now on to that. So that's kind of like your second problem. You flipped the first one and now you're, now you're splitting that, that eight, eight offices into two resis. Yeah. That's kind of the current project, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, the one. Awesome. So what, um, what kind of common mistakes do you say in your experience? You've actually kind of walked the gauntlet a little bit now, right? You've, you're an investor, active investor where you've done some buying, some flips or in the process of doing it. You've been in sales and you're now on the other side of the fence where you're actively seeking out the best opportunities for, for our clients as well. What, what are kind of some common mistakes that you kind of see property investors making? Um, I think probably, yeah, well, probably the most common overarching one is that people really underestimate what they can achieve. Like I, I see a lot of people, especially young people my age that think property investing is like this pie in the sky for people that are like ready to retire and have, you know, hundreds of thousands in the bank. And they just think it's, they put it in the too hard basket. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big attitude shift, especially in young people at the moment, because you see all this, you know, property prices are raising quicker than than wages and so on and so forth. But you see all this really negative media, like millennials never buy houses and all this stuff like that. I think the big mistake a lot of people make, especially young people, is just completely underestimating what they can achieve and what's possible for them. Um, because I think, yeah, a lot of people would be incredibly surprised how achievable it is to have a, a portfolio that really does work for you and to achieve their goals. That would yeah. probably be the, the main one I see. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point. I actually asked... Um Actually, I asked Gabby's brother a while ago. I said, you know, and it, you know, he's obviously surrounded by me and Gabby, and Gabby's mum's into property and stuff. So, but I asked, I said, why is it like, why do, why do your friends and stuff, why are they not into property? And he's like early, you know, early to mid twenties, right? So, hmm. so why are they not into property? I said because properties cost a million bucks. I said, but they don't. Yeah. It's not everywhere. That's, that's the <laughs> maybe perception. in your backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the perception is that properties cost a million dollars, and so that stops people getting into it because they're like, "What? That's just for rich people, isn't it?" But it's like, yeah. you know, just like you said, if you can kind of play your cards right, you know, in your story, you, you know, you managed to get in with like seventeen grand, which is obviously a pretty yeah. advantageous position to get into. But there's definitely stuff you can do. I'd be interested to know, like, what's what is your biggest property mistake, or what's like a biggest the biggest lesson that you've personally learned along your journey? Um. I'm just trying to think. A, a, a pro- we've, we've probably been more good luck than than good management on, in property so far. We haven't had too many mistakes. Um, and, and before I did buy that first one, I, I sort of had, you know, I was writing up property theories and all sorts of things. I was down the rabbit hole kind of thing. So um, the probably the biggest mistake we made would have been, um, yeah, trying to like trying to bite off a bit more than than we thought initially. Like even when we come into this one, we were going to do 
you know, a, a, this was going to be a one into three sort of thing. And we dived right down the, 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 yeah, got stuck probably too far into it and then got a little bit stuck. Um, but the most common mistake that I probably see is that people, um, if they do, if they do jump into, um, you know, jump into property investment a little bit early and they think they can do it and they're just going to dive in by themselves. I, I see a lot of people that I run into get stuck quite quickly. Um, and that's probably the most common one. Why do they we, get stuck? Um, because a lot of people, uh, you know, you, you do need to surround yourself with a, a reasonable team. Um, and I see a lot of people, a lot of people my age that do finally decide to jump into property. They can save up their whole lives to get into one and then they'll just buy a, you know, a tiny little block spec home out in the out in the burbs and they think that that's the, the best way to go just because that's where, you know, we don't want to do investments. That's where we want to live. Um, and then it'll take them five or 10 years to catch up in terms of equity and things like that. Um, so a lot of sort of attitude shifts and, and stuff um, to do with that where they could obviously implore a little bit better team, um, learn a little bit more and, and yeah, come off a lot better. Yeah. So you've been, your personal track record as, a, as, a, as an active investor, like actively adding value. I'm interested to know your personal view now that you've been inside inside the beast at Dashdot. Yeah. You've seen... You've seen Probably I was doing it in a bit of a different way and some of the results that we can get yeah. from that. I'm interested to know how that has changed your perspective or if if it has at all changed yeah, your Yeah, no, it definitely, definitely has. Um, I think the biggest one would be, yeah, location-centric. Like I had the binoculars on, just all I had ever been exposed to was Cowra and Bathurst. And I had that same attitude that, you know, if I was going to do something, it would be you know, where I can drive past the house and, and see what's going on and stuff like that. Um, moving into, into Dashdot where there's such a crazy, you know, full-on team that's identifying all these tiny little bits of information that go into whether a suburb is going to perform well or not so well um, and how much effect that location actually has on the growth of a property. Um, that's really opened my eyes massively. Also seeing, you know, what's achievable in other states, other areas, um, things that I never knew existed, especially sort of living here and, and property prices now are through the roof here. You can pay sort of a million dollars for just a fairly standard new home. I, I wasn't really aware that some of the things that we now buy were achievable. Um, that's probably been a really big one. And then the other one has been, um, yeah, just just how much can go into what, how a suburb performs and how we can identify that. Yeah. So has has that changed like moving forward as you think about the rest of your portfolio, is that going to change your investment thesis? Because your your thesis, yeah. I think, if I'm just make just correct me if I'm wrong, but your thesis has been buy somewhere that you can get access to it because you're going to yep. add the value. And the only way to add value is to manufacture. And yep. that's how you're going to get to where you want to go. And before I let go of that and just let you answer the question. I personally think that that strategy is really interesting because what that says to me is um, you can't possibly pick the right location. So yep. it's all guesswork. So you might as well do what you know, which is to be able to swing a hammer. And yep. if, it's all, if it's all guesswork, right, then and, and if you're going to do that, then literally it doesn't matter where you buy. But So I'm interested to know how like your personal investment thesis, are you going to stick with it because you're like, all right, I already uh, know that I can add value or <laughs> how is that going to play out for you? No, so I think Maddie, my partner, would absolutely kill me if I did another one of these because she <laughs> suffered through plaster dust and all the rest of it for coming on two, two years now. So she will kill me. Um, and I've also, um, the big change with Dashdot as well would be the, the cash flow because all the properties that we've bought, especially this one, um, are dramatically 
cash flow negative, um, mm. which is, is obviously not beneficial in terms of going, you know, you can always live in one and do work on it, but it, with the ability and access to capital to do two, three, four, five, that's, that's not going to work. Um, so it definitely has shifted my idea of what I do moving forward. I think it's, it's an excellent way if you would like to um, hook away a bit of capital young, sort of like what I'm doing, but in terms of building something that's going to last um, and give you and perform for a long period of time, um, it's certainly not replicatable consistently what I'm doing at the moment. So, yeah, yeah. definitely a big shift. Yeah, and I'm interested to um, peel back the curtain a little bit, right? So you now, you know all the secrets basically, right? You've worked out, you now know how we consistently get the results that we get in any market and all of that kind of stuff. And without yeah. giving away the all the secret sauce, I would be interested to know what is what is one, like what is the most interesting kind of, um, piece of that puzzle, like the, what, the interesting piece of the recipe that you d- didn't know that now you know that you're like, wow, I can't believe that that's like, you know, a, a big lever or what's kind of the, you know, just what, what's, one, what's, what's one ingredient in the recipe that you can share? That'd be, yeah, that'd be really hard because our, our ingredient is, you know, it's, it's got about, our, our recipe's got about 50, 50 plus ingredients, I think, in it by now. So there's a lot of, you know, checks and things that we look at. Um, I think probably the biggest shift, I didn't understand a huge amount about, yeah, that the, what cash flow can do to impact someone's portfolio. That's not necessarily a property-centric thing, um, but the fact that you can actually get properties that are significantly cash flow positive um, and that potentially the first deposit you save might be the last deposit you have to save if you're picking the, the right location because, you know, as, as I watch the client list and so many people come through for round two, round three, round four, um, when I only just remember presenting them round one, um, it's that's sort of been a big shift to sort of again say um, you know that anything's really achievable for people if you're picking the right sort of sort of property. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, have any books or or anything like shaped your property journey? Oh, oh, personal journey get... actually it doesn't even need to be property specific. Like, I'd be interested to know. Yeah, have there been any like major kind of because you've you've obviously had a bit of a mindset around growth and money and building that kind of the future of your dream. So I'd be interested to know like any kind of key key influences on that. Um, I think property centric. I probably pulled a lot a lot more from from a couple of you know mentors, people that have done it. Personal wise, I do read an awful lot of sort of like self improvement books and stuff like that. And um, it's a bit cliche, but probably Atomic Habits was the most um, influential. Just um, you know the aggregation of marginal gains and just trying to be 1% better every day at, at something um, and just consistently casting votes for sort of what sort of person you want to be. That's probably been something I continually remind myself of most days. It's been the most influential. Nice. Nice. So what are some habits or rituals that you personally oh. have that keep you aligned with your goals or just keep you aligned with you know who you want to be in the world? Oh, there's, there's quite a few, and I, I do try my best to stick with them. There's a sort of funny one I, I, for a good while. This probably before Dash Dot. Bathurst is a very cold place, and I had this opinion that if I got up in the morning and did something I didn't want to do first thing in the morning, then I, I would win the day from there. So I used to have cold showers every morning in the freezing Bathurst winter, which sometimes doesn't happen anymore. But <laughs> I do my best to. Um, so yeah, just overcoming, um, you know, doing something you don't want to do quite early in the morning is always a good one. Um, other ones as well is just that uh, I think he says in the book that you, you sort of you don't rise to the level of your goals you can fall to the level of your systems and processes that's mm. been another big one for both sort of work and 
and personal that quite often, you know, we can all set goals um, that the difference between people that get them and don't get them isn't necessarily whether there is a goal there because we all have goals. Um, it's what systems you put in place to achieve the goals. So quite often if something isn't working in my life or, or in work, I sort of like to take a step back and have a look at what the actual system is for me to achieve that. And quite often you can see that there's no system at all. Mm. Um, that's probably been a good shift for me as well to really focus on what I'm doing to to get to that goal rather than the goal itself. Yeah, nice. Nice. I like that actually because I've read that book, but I I read it a little while ago. So you're saying things there that yeah. like I'm actually, as you're talking, I'm like, Mm. Yeah, I've gone the double dip. I, I read it a long time ago. I got the audio book now, so I was I was painting next door and thought, oh, I'll throw it on again. So mm. <laughs> I've only just come off it again. Yeah, just uh, the brain started whirring then as you were talking about some of that stuff, and I was like, yeah, yeah okay, okay. I think I might have let a couple of my systems slip as well. So maybe I started yeah. to go, maybe I started to go yeah. back and revisit the book. I think, yeah, yeah. So I actually gifted that book to um, my brother for Christmas. It's probably it definitely gets to go around. It's a good one. For sure. Yeah, it's a good book. Awesome. Um, so we're in our final couple of questions. I'd be just interested to know from your perspective, what's uh, one piece of advice or an insight or a you know a little secret from the inside that you might give to someone who's thinking about working with Dashdot, but is maybe sitting on the fence? Ooh, that's a tricky one. Um, I think a good one that that I you know even tell my my friends and family quite a bit is that you know the difference between a good and a bad investment can be. 10 years, like 10 years of your life of, of you know, freedom or, or how far away you want to, or from your goal. Um, so yeah, surrounding yourself with the right team and people that, that are really experienced in what you want to do um, can mean the difference of a huge amount of time of your life. Um, that's probably one thing that I con- constantly remind uh, even even my parents that want to start investing and things like that, that it does make a huge, huge, huge difference. Um uh, yeah, other than that, there'd be a million things I could say, but I'm trying <laughs> to pinpoint one or two. Yeah, no, 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 that's good. That's good. That's totally fine. Okay, so, so Sean, imagine it's your last day on earth, years and years and years down the line, because it's still, still quite young. Um, it's years down the line. You've accomplished, accomplished everything that you have wanted to achieve. So you've built the property portfolio that gives you what you want. You've had the opportunity. You have the opportunity to go on a holiday in the Bahamas. Yeah, on the Bahamas. <laughs> whenever you want, but you don't have to live there and drink cocktails. You've got the ability yeah. to give back and have an impact. You've got all of that kind of stuff. You've ticked all those boxes. You've, you've nailed it. You've crushed it. But the minute you pass away, everything that you have created and everything that you have ever achieved on earth is gone, wiped from the face of the earth. And all you can do is leave behind three simple truths that are going to live on forever. What three simple truths or lessons would you want to impart on the world? Um, I had a really, really good think about this. Um, So I come up with three sort of quite succinct ones. I think the first one would be that, um, which I mentioned earlier, that interactions, relationships and people are far more meaningful than any tangible or material thing you can ever achieve. Um, the second one is that um, victory is always inevitable in um, absolutely anything if you refuse to stop trying. Um, so even if you do get a no, um, if you continually refuse to stop trying or fighting, you will eventually succeed. Um, and the last one is just never to delay happiness, um, never to say I'll be happy when or, or anything like that um, because every time you get to when, there'll always be a new when. Um, so you sort of got to learn to, to um, love and enjoy the process. That's probably the last one. Man, I, I I love those. They're great. Like they 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 are really great. I like I particularly like the um the you, victory is inevitable as long as you don't yeah. stop trying. I think yeah, I think yeah. 
It's such a good reminder. Some of my favorite ones, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's a ripper, right? Because yeah, most people underestimate what they you know can achieve in any given period of time, and mm. and they're always living wishing their life away as well like to, to, yeah. to, your, to your kind of third point they're always like ah oh, i'm never doing enough i'm never going to get anywhere yeah. and they're constantly going all right i'll have happiness some other time and forget actually about the achievements that that they're making and all that compound you know there's one percent mm. on one percent on one percent on one percent as long as you keep moving in the right direction you're definitely going to get there yeah, especially especially in, in young people, I think it is a bit of a, a suck in in my generation with Instagram and all the rest of it. That you know, people see all these you know influencers and people driving crazy cars and all the rest of it, and they always go, oh, "I'll be happy when," um, you know, I'd I'd love it if if that was what I had. Um, but then they're not back doing the one percent gains every every day to sort of achieve those things. They just leave it as a pie in the sky. And every time they do achieve something, they always put a new when in, so they can sort of live a good part of their young life just just waiting to be happy. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really important one to just sort of enjoy the process, concentrate on getting 1% better every day and, and you'll get there if you keep trying. Awesome. That's a great place to leave it. Sean, thanks so much. It's been a great chat. Thanks so much. Sweet. Thanks.